For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Love has carried us After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage in Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, as he had told them. As they were untying it, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of the Lord. All right, on Palm Sunday, uh, the sixth and final Sunday in Lent, uh, we're going to be invited to consider if we are following Jesus or if we are asking Jesus to follow us. That's the invitation of Palm Sunday. I don't know any other way to get after it. I tried to read it in some different ways. I tried to bring a gentle message this morning. I tried to figure out what gracious meaning Palm Sunday may have. Uh, And I believe there is some significant grace in here, but I really do think it is primarily an invitation as we enter Holy Week to consider if we are following Jesus or if we're asking Jesus to follow us. That may sound a little ridiculous, right? But I don't think it is. I think all of us that have been breathing for any longer than five minutes have had um, times where we've realized maybe Oh my, Um, I have been asking God to fit my agenda versus seeking to where my life is going to fit God's plan and God's agenda. So uh, let's let's pray as we dive into that. God, thank you um, for giving us paradoxical teachings so that we can wrestle them down together and find grace in them. Amen? All right, all play question. If you're new around here, we do all plays to hear the voice of the chorus, not just one person. So what's happening on Palm Sunday? Just basic stuff. You know, I mean, some of you know this, some of you don't, but what's happening? Christ is entering Jerusalem. Thank you. Approaching his death. Yeah, we're just a week away from his death. Not even a week. 
We're about to celebrate Passover. Yep. He and his friends are, his disciples. There are palm fronds here and there. There's a donkey or a colt. Depending on what gospel you read, there's one or two. Yeah, people are calling him king. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny says the donkey's showing that Jesus is coming in peacefully. He's not coming in on a war horse where, where you know, some kings may be tempted to do. And that's interesting. Yeah, Nate, it's still a political statement. <laughs> it's an affront to all the war horses that are in Jerusalem. Yeah. What else is happening? Everybody still likes him. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, well, almost everybody, right? Almost everybody. He's, you know. Now, remember where we've been. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. And then last week, we had that weird dinner party, remember, where uh, this Mary anointed his feet with her with perfume and then washed them with her hair. And it was sort of awkward, but also beautiful. And then Judas uh, was offended by it, as all good um, people are. And, um, and, and then he, so, and people have been saying, stay away from Jerusalem, Jesus, because you know what's going to happen. They're going to arrest you if you come. And he knows that, but he's approaching anyway. And he's there, someone said it, because it's the, it's the feast of Passover. It's the festival of Passover. That's what Jews do uh, when that time of the year comes. And then Sean is right. People are pretty excited and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So you've got to ask, what kind of a king are they expecting? And so in Jerusalem at the time, Jerusalem had been occupied for 600 straight years. Think about that. Just in terms of like, you know, the U.S. has been around for, I don't know, 250 years or so. Thanks, Scott. Uh, math. Pastor, not a mathematician. But, um, you know, so like that gives you a perspective. That's a long time to be held in captivity. First the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans, and the Romans have sort of set up this system where um, Jewish rulers can rule the Jewish people and allow them to do their temple worship and temple sacrifices, but Herod the Great is the ruler that is in charge, and he's a brutal despot, essentially. He, when Jesus was born, you remember, he ordered the, the massacre of the innocents, which is he ordered every baby boy under the age of two years old to be murdered, and so the, you know, think about the whole life of Jesus, uh, his whole time is surrounded by families that are grieving because they've lost sons. And they are, the, the Jewish people are looking for a new king. They're looking for a new Moses, essentially, but not someone who would lead them out. They're looking for a Messiah who would establish the universal and unending reign of God that's centered right there in Jerusalem, because that's the center of the promised land. So they're, they're, again, they're looking for a new Moses, but not someone that will lead them out, someone that will push the oppressors out finally. And you would want this too if you were oppressed for 600 straight years, and that's all you knew. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, we read this prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Now this is in the Hebrew scriptures, Zechariah. Righteous and having salvation, which... 
did you catch um, Greg's prayer? Salvation for our mind, heart, body, and soul. I just wanted to stop right there and go, yes. So Jesus, or this king, see your king comes to you righteous, having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, I I read this this week, that um, if it was true, and people disagree, maybe it was just a colt, maybe it was two, colt, two donkeys, uh, they say if it was two, then the colt, it was for sure the colt's mother that was leading the colt, because there's no way a colt would, you know, just, hey, let's go. Uh, Donkeys are very nervous (laughs) creatures. They don't like, you know, they go backwards instead of forwards. They get scared easily. So I love the picture, right, of of a mother leading the colt. Um, So that's just, that's a freebie to, to, to think about. Back to Zechariah 9, verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. Okay, so this is what Jenny is talking about. And the battle bow will be broken. And then he will proclaim peace to the nations. This is the king. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to ask an all-play question, but I want to read it again. Think about the promised land, right? His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All-play question, where's the promised land? Next to a sea, thanks, Will has a river through it. Thanks, Jenny. Say it again. There's a, yes, second sea on the inside, connects to the river. The Middle East. You guys are close. There is an answer to this one. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Where's the promised land? Amen. Everywhere. That's what the scriptures say here and elsewhere, that the reigning king, the Messiah, will bring God's kingdom, not just in a geographical area with boundaries, but over the whole ends of the earth. And so that's what people are longing for. And that's a good longing. That's not a bad longing. That's a good longing. Peace to come across the whole earth. God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what they're wanting for, praying for. So the question is, what does Jesus think about Palm Sunday? Right, so I'm going to read to you um, the verses that aren't included in the lectionary reading. I don't know why, because they're just so good. When he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, would that even today you knew the things that would make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you and surround you, hem you in on every side, and dash you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of the visitation of your God. So Jesus is not feeling triumphant on this day. Amen? He's weeping and he's feeling incredibly heartbroken because the peace that he wants to bring he somehow can't bring because they can't see it and that's sort of a interesting mystery right how will god bring peace to the world 
do we sometimes think that that's just like a lever we pull and then it comes? Or is there something we have to see and do in order for it to come? This participation. Um, and so it, I think it's really fascinating to sort of look at the disciples and the followers, and they were singing Hosanna, and they should have been singing Hosanna. They were excited about a king who was going to establish God's rule and God's peace upon the earth, right? But they didn't see what they needed to see. And that's a confrontation, right? Because, like, you, you read the Gospels, and you go, well, they, they did pretty well. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they left their mother and father. They went off on that crazy journey where they weren't supposed to take a staff or extra money or extra shoes or extra cloak. They were supposed to forgive their enemies, and they tried to. They healed people. I mean, they did pretty well, and still they didn't see what Jesus wanted to do to bring peace. And so it's easy to get caught in like, well, what didn't they see, or what did they see? What, what did they do wrong, or what didn't they do right? And I think we could sit here for hours and debate about that, but it would be sort of missing the point. Because I think in this day and age, on this Palm Sunday in 2019, year C of the lectionary cycle, we are invited to consider what ways in which we do not see the peace that God wants to bring in the world right now. We're invited to consider the ways in which we're blind, even though we think we can see. And I promise you, I know it's true about me, and so it's definitely, it's true about you as well, that there is at least a small dimension of what you believe and what you think about who Jesus is and what he is doing that is too small and too territorial. Just like it would have been wrong for the Jewish people to think that Jerusalem was the, you know, and the land of Israel, Palestine was the totality of the promised land when really it's God wants to fill the whole earth. Just like that's too territorial, you and I, there's, there are things. There are things that we will drive a stake deeply into the ground about. This is who Jesus is and what he's like and what he does. And we're right about maybe 67% of it, if we're good. But man, there's, you know, again, math, 33, 33% that we miss. And we're not supposed to feel badly about that. You can weep and gnash, tear your clothes and put ashes over you because you don't get it right. Or you could just say, wow, this is an invitation for me to consider just where I might not quite have it totally right yet. I was in Marna's Cafe this week. I love that place. If you haven't had lunch there, uh, and I was before, um, and this might have been two weeks ago. I'm there a lot because it's so good. Uh, so before the person showed up, there was this couple that was talking, and they were, and Marnus is a small place, but uh, they were raising their voices, and the woman was saying to the man, you aren't listening to me. You aren't listening to me. You keep bringing up the same thing over and over again, and I'm telling you, I don't want to hear it, and he just kept going. And then she goes, please stop. I'm done with this conversation. And he kept going. And then finally, she said, I am leaving now. And she got up and left. And I'm saying, oh my gosh. 
I don't know what they were talking about. But there's this dynamic, right? We get into loggerheads with people and we're so certain. Listen, I have been especially like convicted of this lately for me in particular. We can be passionate, but without humility to say that I maybe, you know, again, 67% in, in school, I think that's still a D, right? <laughs> maybe even an F, I don't know. Thomas Merton says this in his fabulous book, um, Conjectures of the Guilty Bystander. And this is going to come up on the screen because it's so good. He says this, What we seek is not the pure truth, Merton writes, but the partial truth that justifies our prejudices, our limitations, and our selfishness. This is not the truth. It's only an argument strong enough to prove us right. And usually our desire to be right is correlative to our conviction that somebody else, perhaps everybody else, is wrong. Why do we want to prove them wrong? Because we need them to be wrong. For if they are wrong and we are right, then our untruth becomes truth. Then our untruth becomes truth. Our selfishness becomes justice and virtue. Our cruelty and lust cannot be fairly condemned we can rest secure in the fiction that we have determined to embrace as truth. Right? Snap. I see my friend back in the back who made this great conversation about human development, and there's this researcher that we looked at, and he goes, the great, the, the reason, and this guy told me, um, this researcher, Robert Keegan, said, the great moment of liberation and embarrassment is when you realize that what you've been looking at as absolute truth. And there is absolute truth. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Please don't email me about that. <laughs> there is absolute truth. But the point is that there is a great moment of liberation or embarrassment when you realize that at least a portion of what you have thought of as absolutely the truth is only <laughs> a mere convention that you've created to make yourself feel better. So when you transcend that and you go, oh, God is bigger than my small belief, you can either lose your faith, and sometimes that's a good thing, so you can get a bigger faith in the actual God, or you can hunker back down and just be certain. I think Palm Sunday, again, I try to make it anything other than this, but I think Palm Sunday is an invitation to gently, not with shame, not with self-condemnation, not with judgment, but to gently just say, where am I maybe wrong? So this is a, um, I'm going to read one more passage as I close here um, from Luke 22. Uh, this is a, I'm going to invite you into a practice during Holy Week based on this, and um, this passage comes from right before uh, the Passover meal. So Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, uh, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, I don't know, just find a place. 
No, he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house which he enters, and tell the householder, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I am to eat and the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There, make everything ready. And they went, and they found it as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So here's, here's the practice this week that I want to invite you into. Every time you feel the inner need to be right, to convince someone of something, instead, picture a room in your heart that you are preparing for the teacher to come and teach you what is right. Picture yourself preparing a room. That room can look however you want it to look, but it's going to be you and Jesus sitting down, and Jesus himself will teach you what he's like and what he's doing. Um, I've been trying this practice of trying not to convince people of things over Lent, and I wish I'd picked, like, sweets, you know, instead. Because <laughs> my friends are like, ooh, that was your thing? How's that going? Um, actually, it's, um, it's actually really a, a practice that leads to freedom. Amen.